Bibles with me to the book of Daniel. It'll be projected behind me. We're going to read verses 8 to 21 here. One to seven is like the introduction of what happened to Daniel. We're going to read verses eight to 16 that tell you this, this little historical nugget of what, how they lived in Babylon, and then you get the, the commentary on it at the end here of just highlighting Daniel's wisdom and the fact that he's stuck there for a long time. And so let's read this passage, and we'll, we'll pray and, and reflect on this together. This is God's word. It says, But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear the Lord, I fear my Lord the king, who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. And then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the, the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So we listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and the enchanters that were there, that were in all his kingdom." And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. And this is God's word. It is true and trustworthy and spoken to us today in love. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for Jesus, who is our wisdom, and, and just would pray you would grow us in that particular wisdom as we look at Daniel. So this would be a time that is fruitful, that, that equips us to be faithful to your will here on earth, uh, as well as communicating how loved we are by you, Father. So, Holy Spirit, use this time for, for our good, for the glory of Jesus, that you would open our eyes to see wondrous things in your word today. And it's in Christ's name we, we ask. Amen. It's a great little story, isn't it? About Daniel and his friends taking a stand on meat and vegetables. <laughs> Right, and so from here on, henceforth, all potlucks will be vegetarian. Sorry, Colin. Right, we too will look good and fatter in flesh. <laughs> right, dare to be a Daniel. Now, I mean, part of the what the reason we're going to look at this this text is it does show us how the the, the way you go about interacting um, and taking a stand for God in the presence of those who don't know Him, who don't know His wisdom, 
and don't know about his kingdom. Right? So if you remember Daniel and his friends, that they've been dragged from their comforts of their home in Jerusalem by this cruel, violent kingdom, Babylon. And then Nebuchadnezzar, after besieging the, the city, right, what he did is he dragged Daniel and his friends not only to a new city, but he gave them a new job. And he isolated them from the Jewish community and enrolled them in basically public university in Babylon, um, in the eunuch dorm most likely. Right? And so what we saw last week, that it's not just a historical fact, God is in control, and he planted them there on purpose so that Daniel and his friends can be witnesses and, and do work for the shalom, the peace, the welfare of Babylon. And that's Jeremiah 29, to, to love the neighbors where God put them. He said, but seek the welfare of the city where I, God, have sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Right? So it's just helpful as you go through this story to hear that over and over again. God's in control. Right? That, that's the message of Daniel. There is a kingdom that God is building, and he is in control. And so when Nebuchadnezzar isolates Daniel and his friends, uh, God's in control of that. When Nebuchadnezzar puts Daniel and his friends in this Babylonian public school as the only believers in this school, God's in control over that. When Nebuchadnezzar tries to just um, baptize them into Babylonian culture and love, right, to give them a new love for it, you get the best food, the best, you get to eat the king's food. It's a luxurious life. God's still in control. And even when he gives them new names, new identities, right? God's in control. And what's fascinating about this story, they, they don't protest about the name change. They don't protest seemingly about the literature they have to learn. Where they take their stand, even after potentially being made eunuchs, right? Uh, they take their stand over food. And so... We've got to ask, one, what can we learn from the protest? What is going on here? And then what is it going to teach us as, as Christians about how to live wisely in a world with people who, have, who just don't know who Jesus is? Right? How do we stand up for Jesus when God's values and the world's values clash? That's what we're going to look at. And so first, let's, let's start. If you're taking notes, we're going to look at Daniel's stand. Um, look at Daniel's stand, right? It said in the beginning he's of the tribe of Judah. He's of noble birth, um, sent to work for the shalom of Babylon. So it's, it's really helpful to start to think of, of Daniel as a prince of peace, literally, right? He's part of the royal family sent to model this shalom, this peace for Babylon. And in verse 8 it says he, he resolved to not defile himself with the king's food or, or the wine that he drank. And so he asked the chief of the eunuchs, Ashpenaz, for permission to not defile himself. Right? So why food? Why not earlier? Right? I mean, it makes sense. I want you to, to, to defile himself. Daniel is doing this for religious reasons. Right? If he was here, he was going to claim his First Amendment right to be faithful to his own religion. Right? To defile yourself is to make yourself unclean in God's eyes. And so he's connecting his food, his eating and drinking, and refusing the, the meat and the wine uh, for God's sake. Right? 
And I know I would, most of us here, I, I think, would draw the line elsewhere. You can tell me later if I'm wrong, but right? I'm all for good ethnic food. Right? We're, that's, that's part of the American cuisine. We, we, we're trying other people's food. And so here's some clues as we jump in. First, God gave Daniel two gifts to enable and empower and equip him for this protest. First, in verse 9, God gave Daniel favor in the, in the eyes of his boss, in the sight of Ashpenaz. Right? It's, it's just a really simple way of saying his boss liked him. He was willing to help. He was willing to work with him, which gave Daniel the freedom to not, you know, that there's a clash, there's, there's differences, but, but God blessed Daniel and said, you know, he's willing to listen to you. He's not blowing you off. And then the second gift that Daniel receives from God, you you see it in verse 17, is God gave Daniel and his friends wisdom. So he was given the knowledge, the understanding, the insight to even come up with his his protest. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill and all literature and wisdom. And on top of that, Daniel had understanding and visions and dreams. And so here's the point. Daniel's making a stand. He's armed by God's grace, by God's gracious gifts to him. The gift of being well-liked by his neighbors, as well as the gift of God's wisdom. And as we start there for us, what I think Daniel's written and recorded for us to tell us is, do you know you have access to the same wisdom that Daniel had? Daniel is recorded in the scriptures in the Hebrew Bible, in the wisdom literature section, in the practical section, in the here's how you live well in God's world section. You'll find Daniel alongside Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and and those things in the Old Testament, um, especially in the Hebrew Bible. So those words that are repeated, if you read Proverbs, right, you're going to hear wisdom, understanding, learning, knowledge, right? Those are all echoes of Proverbs. And the message of Proverbs is that you too, as God's beloved child, can grow in God's wisdom. You can learn how to live well in God's world. All right, so if you got your Bible, look over at Proverbs 1 with me for a moment. Um, If you you have a Bible. It's just helpful to hear the echoes so you know I'm not just making this up. Um, This, this would have been part of Daniel's childhood education before he got ripped away and sent to Babylon. Right. It says, I'm going to read it from the message just to mix things up a bit, but it says, The wise sayings of Solomon that were written down so we'll know how to live well and write, to understand what life means and where it's going. You have a manual for living, for learning what's right and just and fair, to teach the inexperienced the ropes and give our young people a grasp on reality. There's something here also for seasoned men and women, still a thing or two for for the experience to learn. Fresh wisdom to probe and penetrate the rhymes and reasons of wise men and women. And then verse 7, the famous one, start with God. The first step in learning wisdom is bowing down to God, fearing the Lord. And so here's, Here's the point. Daniel was given wisdom, but it also started in his childhood when he was a kid. And it's learning God's words. 
And God was gracious enough to prepare him for this particular protest. And as part of being a person of wisdom, Daniel had insight. And this is what I know we all need these days. You know what insight is? This will help you understand Daniel's stand and what, what, how he works. Insight is the ability to see that how something works. Right? The ability to see that there is more than one way to do something. Right? I mean, and, which means some of us have insight into different parts of the world, which is evidenced by the, the different careers in our room. Right? I mean, I, I'm, as a professional Bible teacher, I have insight into the scriptures and how they fit together. As, you know, if you're an engineer, you have insight into how computers work and in software and, and right, 3D printing, <laughs> all that kind of stuff, right? Something that I would look at and say, yeah, I'm just going to hit it with a hammer. It's not going to work. You need insight. You can see the tiny details and how these things fit together, and you can make out a third way when everyone else is yelling about option A or option B. Right? So insight helps you see through and find another path. Right? Jesus embodies this. I love the way he does that. Just watch Jesus debate with insight when everyone says, you either have option A or option B. You're either with us or against us. And in Mark 12, it's, right, Jesus, should we pay taxes to Caesar? You remember what, what he says, bring me the coin whose image is on it. Right, if Jesus says pay taxes, uh, he's going to be an enemy to the, the Jewish people. If he says don't pay taxes, he's going to make himself the enemy of, of Rome, the occupying power. And, and what Jesus says, give me a coin, it's Caesar's image. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. Right? We all belong to God. We're in his image, which is a polite way of saying, you think there's option A or option B. The reality is Caesar can have his pocket change. God has you. Serve your creator. Right? That takes great wisdom and insight to even see that there's a way out of that trap. Right? Insight, yep. You get to see alternative options. Uh, Prudence as well is here, right? Prudence is given to the simple in verse 4 in Proverbs chapter 1. It's the ability to see the consequences that if I do this, and that will happen, right? The good, for good or worse, for good or bad. It informs risk-taking or caution, right? So the point is, if we're going to take a stand for Jesus, you're going to need God's wisdom, you're going to need insight, and you're going to need prudence, right? Is there another way to do this? We've got to ask. What will be the effects? If I decide to stand on this particular hill, um, what will happen? Am I willing to pay the cost? Right? What risks am I willing to take? Um, and that's the point. Right? Verse 4, to give prudence to the simple. Right? The simple believe anything, they don't stop and ask. They just do. Verse, Pastor Tim Keller says, the simple are too easily led and influenced. And like, they're, we're just like children. We're easily impressed by the spectacular or the dramatic, or we just need someone to say, I like you. And so you go along with whatever you're told. So when, when you look at Daniel, armed with wisdom and understanding, insight, prudence, this is not a simple decision. He chooses vegetables. Now Why? I think there's more to it than just the kosher laws of the Old Testament, right? If it was just the kosher laws, if he's just worried about defiling himself because of Leviticus, uh, right? Why is it mentioned wine? 
Wine isn't forbidden in the Old Testament. In fact, it's called a good gift from God. Right? So there must be something else going on. And that's why I picked uh, the particular call to worship from Psalm 141. Right? Daniel, the reason he takes his stand is he's concerned about his own faith, his own uh, sanity in the midst of Babylon. He's, so Psalm 141, if you're looking at the call to worship, it says, Do not let my heart incline to any evil. In the company with men who work iniquity, don't let me eat of their delicacies. Right? And so just, this is the fear, or the reality of what happens. Luxurious food uh, will seduce the heart away from God and start to consider ways that are not pleasing to God. Because right? on the one hand, to eat the king's food probably isn't naturally wrong in of itself. But Daniel must know his heart, and he is anxious, saying, this is the place I'm going to take a stand, because I don't want my heart to be drawn away from God, to become so Babylonian I get lost, and I lose the Lord whom I love. Daniel is well aware that, like David's prayer in the Chronicles, riches and honor come from God. Everything we have is a gift and comes from, from our God. So you're starting to see what's going on with this protest. I mean, Daniel is worried about who's going to get the credit, who's going to take um, the credit for his wisdom, for his flourishing, for his appearance, for his health. In the ancient world, if you were fed by the king, it was a way of saying he's your father and he's the reason for your success. Right? So Daniel is saying, I'm not going to give that credit to this king. I want to give it to the God who's carried me here. And I want to do it in front of my neighbors. And I want to do it in a way that doesn't kill my neighbor, Ashpenaz. <laughs> we don't want his head to get lopped off. And I want to do it in a way that shows that God's wisdom is true for everyone. Right? And we know this is a temptation, don't you? Right? I mean, we, well, I don't have it in my pocket. Right? These digital devices. I mean, I'm preaching from this <laughs> every week. I have this electronic device. We have a lot of comfort that people a hundred years ago did not have. And comfort and success and luxury, right, those are the things that really do dull our love for God. And we live in a culture where Americans, where you say, I did this. I pulled myself up by my own bootstraps. I got this job. I worked hard. I deserve this. Right? Daniel's stand it's not going to let him do that to take any credit, nor is he going to let Nebuchadnezzar take that credit. He wants to get God to get the recognition. So, no meat, vegetables and water. Because if you reverse what the culture expects, it looks foolish to them, because who's going to get fat on vegetables? It looks foolish to the culture, and Daniel's willing to look foolish, but it's God's wisdom, and God answers his prayer. After 10 days, he looks better, looks healthier. Daniel, by faith, was willing to look weak to let God make him strong. God's grace was sufficient for him in that moment. So, that's the stand that he took. What does it teach us? Right, and 
there's a whole bunch of ways to think this through and, and, and the options we have, right? I mean, this is, when I, pl I planned the sermon series probably at least a year ago, way before COVID was even on our radar. It's so, this is God's providence <laughs> in that way. Of people are actually working through, and we're working through, when do we take a stand? What, what hill will we die on for Jesus, so to speak, right, metaphorically? Right, and so there's options for us as Christians. Uh, some you're going to find all the way throughout the Bible, and I want to help work through what are the options we have for standing up for Jesus, and we'll just compare them to Daniel. Right, I think it'll be fruitful, because Daniel's helping us learn God's wisdom in story form. Right, so you remember Jesus' prayer. I send you into the world as my Father sent me, and may they be in the world, but not of the world. Right? I want you to be right there, mug your neighbors, but don't get dragged away downstream to the point where you forget who you are and who you belong to. Sanctify them, set them apart in truth. That's his prayer. And so a guy named, uh, this is a good German name, Reinhold Niebuhr, <laughs> talked about different ways for how Christians relate to the culture. And so let's just look at them and compare. And I'm just letting you know these aren't my ideas, but they're really helpful just to get your feet on the ground and get oriented. Right? And I'm going to use Saratoga County because that's where God's put us. Not, right? So one option is Christ against Saratoga County, right? where you take an adversarial approach to our, our county and the, the values of our county and the and and the people here who live here, right, where you say, because I'm a Christian, I want you to know I'm against that, and here's why. And in this kind of approach, Daniel would have let everyone else in school know that I'm a believer, I have rights, I'm not going to drink the Babylonian Kool-Aid. Right? But Daniel, he's not adversarial, he's not out there pushing loudly against the culture, is he? There's polite submission to the authorities <laughs> that God put over him. He asked permission. Not only that, he actually cares about Ashpenaz's head, literally. Nebuchadnezzar is the kind of ruler that if he has a bad day, heads roll. Right? Think Alice in Wonderland. Off with his head. Right? See, Daniel is for his boss, his non-Christian neighbor, even as he's seeking to be faithful to God. So he doesn't use this against approach, nor does he do this uh, apart approach, right? You can live as a Christian apart from Saratoga County. Right? And that's the idea that you just completely separate yourself from your neighbors, from your non-Christians. It could be intentionally, it could be um, just by virtue of the job you have, but it's where you avoid partnership and friendship with, with non-Christians. And what it does is it sets you to live like a tourist, right? If you've, some of you have been tourists, you know what? You know, you, tourists don't really fully enter in. We just stay out in the margins where it's comfortable, right? We, we take, but we don't give. You don't learn the language and, and the, heart, the sorrows of the people. You just, you, you give them money, but you're not, you're not engaging with the neighbors. See, Daniel wasn't a tourist. I mean, he didn't have a choice, <laughs> But he's right there in the midst of Babylon by God's design. And it's helpful because this is, this is a temptation for conservative Christians, for people like us, people like me. 
Right? This, this kind of stance is really tempting because it's really easy to name what's wrong out in the world. But even Daniel, you're going to see later. Right? If you just say, I need to stay apart, what that does is assumes too much of our own goodness. Right? There's sin in the Christian ghetto as well because it's in my heart. Daniel's going to pray, O Lord who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly. He confesses his own moral failures. So Daniel's not against his county. He's not living apart from his county. He's not trying to run away from it. Nor is he fully absorbed. That's another way, right? You can, you can be absorbed by the values of Saratoga County. And it's just the idea that uh, culture's changing, so God must change with the culture. So you, without thinking it through, you say, I need to be relevant, and so I'm going to change my theology to fit in. You just, you just roll with the punches. You just say, go with it. Right? He paints Jesus as someone who only loves and never criticizes, and the fact that Daniel takes a stand shows us he's not willing to be absorbed completely by the Babylonian culture. Right? He's choosing what's going to harm his faith, for sure. So he's not against the culture, the county. He's not uh, living apart from it. He's not being absorbed by it, nor is he living just floating above it. Right? And this is where you say, my faith is private, and I'm just going to keep it to myself. Right? right? Sundays are for Jesus. You do you like everyone else the rest of the week, and you end up living in this sacred-secular divide where you feel like a chameleon. Right? I think we all know that tension. Where there's church you, and we have our language, and then there's work you, and you have a particular language and jokes and things that you use. And the danger is, if you live above the county with your own private faith being used for your own private uh, well-being, it ignores God's purpose. I've sent you here to do good for them, and I will do good to you as you do good for them. I didn't give you a, pu- a private faith. I've given you a public faith. Right? I mean, Daniel resolved to not defile himself for God's sake in front of his boss. So, where do you see yourself? You know, where do you find yourself the most comfortable? Which way is the most tempting? Right? And this is, this is what brings this story to life and helps it pop, is that the main way we help others see the beauty and truth and goodness of God is through the fruit of our faith uh, in our lives, and they can see it. People want to see, how does God's wisdom work for you? especially when we're going through hard times. I mean, how we parent, what we care about. I mean, shameless plug, right? How do we go through an election season as believers? Um, come out on the 21st. We're going to talk about that. Daniel's test is designed not only to deepen faith in the living God who will protect him, but it's also modeling God's wisdom and power and protection in front of uh, his, Daniel and his friends, co-workers. So this is an incredibly humble, ordinary way to live, is it not? Right? You're, you're engaging. You're looking around. Right? Daniel, 
armed with insight, when Ashpenaz says, yeah, I don't want to die. <laughs> He's, he doesn't say, oh, you must hate all Jews. Right? He doesn't, he doesn't sit, uh, just react emotionally. He doesn't assume the world is against him and his tribe. No, he trusts the Lord is in control and comes up with a plan that works, works good for all. Right? So, this is the stance we're going to learn, and this is how we're going to end here. How do you stand up for Jesus? I'm going to call it, since we've used a whole bunch of A's, right? He's not against the county. He's not uh, living apart from the county. He's not being absorbed by the culture of the county, nor is he being uh, living above it. He's, he's, he's an ambassador in, in the county. God has sent me as a witness to love God and to live out God's wisdom with those whom he has put me with. Right. And here's, here's where I'm getting that from. Daniel chapter 1, it's how it ends. All right, the end of their training, the test succeeded. Uh, when the king spoke with them, he said, No one's like Daniel, Hananiah, uh, Mishael, and Azariah. In every matter of wisdom and understanding that the king asked of them, they're ten times better. And then Daniel was there. Right, you got this ten times better, and he's there till King Cyrus 70 years later. So that means for 70 years, Babylon got to see, um, how would you put it, the, the lack of power their own worldly wisdom has in comparison to the, the power in God's wisdom. Right? And so for us, I found this illustration helpful. Daniel is showing what it looks like to live under God's rule and reign. And that's what we're called to do here as a church. Harvey Kahn uses this illustration. It's the church is God's demonstration community of, of Jesus' rule. Right? right here in Saratoga County. Right? We are a people who have been purchased by the blood of Jesus on the cross, on this tract of land. Jesus, the kingdom developer, so to speak, has begun building new housing, and we are that home. We're God's demonstration home. And through us, we get to invite people in, show them around, show them the rooms, the remodeling that Jesus has done, right? This is what it was. Move that bus. This is what it is, <laughs> right? I've been changed by the grace of God. And then we're sent out as recipients of God's grace and wisdom to do that, where he has put you. Right? Where we can say, with all sincerity, God is for you, because our God, the maker of heaven and earth, our Savior, desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That's 1 Timothy. Right after it says, pray for your corrupt government. <laughs> pray for your leaders. So how do you take a stand? Right. Our protest needs wisdom and needs insight to model loyalty to Jesus and a desire for our neighbor's good. There's going to be times to criticize and critique, and that's going to be later in the book. But the point is, we have a lifetime to do what we can to grow in wisdom. And as we live that wisdom out in front of others, uh, it's going to grow and deepen our own faith. Right? So, I'd say stop there, dare to be a Daniel, but we have a better picture, don't we, of what this looks like. Because we're going to get it wrong. Sometimes we're going to get sucked in. Sometimes we're going to say, yeah, I don't like that person. I don't want to get too close. You know, we have Jesus 
our God who became human, uh, the perfect human, the embodiment of God's wisdom. Christ is our wisdom, who in the presence of all the world's hostility, for our good, laid down his life for us while we were yet enemies, while we thought his wisdom of dying was foolish. And God vindicated him on the third day, raised him up from the dead, and calls us now to live as God's children. I mean, that's the whole point of the cross, is that Jesus was faithful. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, died so that whoever believes is adopted into God's family. And now he's going to train you as his child to be, a, to be a son or daughter of wisdom. And the wisdom, the way we grow is we keep eating and drinking. Christ was crucified. He is my wisdom. This is, what, this is God's wisdom for the world, for me. Right? Because when you eat his broken body, when you drink his shed blood, you're being assured of his love, so you're willing to take risks. Right? And at the same time, um, as you have that assurance that nothing can separate you from the love of God, um, you're also learning that, yeah, this might cost me something. He, his body was broken for me. Am I willing to have my body go through some suffering for his sake. So, we're sent into the world, not to be of the world, but to be sanctified by, by Jesus himself. And th this is a call then, just real practically. Right? This requires a lot of wisdom and prayer and time and a community. Daniel didn't do this alone. So pray. Say, okay, God, I don't have that kind of insight. That's why we have discipleship opportunities and, and a community and other counselors. Pray for the gift of Christ-like wisdom repeatedly and be encouraged. Right? The wisdom that Jesus used to answer all the, with brilliance the debates, right? we have the same spirit of wisdom and understanding given to us as God's children. The spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge, the spirit of the fear of the Lord, we have help. Right? That's, that's why the gospel is such good news, is saying, I don't have it figured out yet, but I'm on the demonstration home, God's remodeling project, along with you all. <laughs> We're in this together. So as, when we stand for Jesus, let's ask for his grace to help us do so. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we, we ask that you continue to deepen our trust in Christ. Uh, Perhaps you've confronted us with sin today uh, of, of self-righteousness. And so we ask that your kindness would lead us to repentance, uh, to trust Jesus who does love us and has paid for that. But we also know we cannot go out into the world today without more of your spirit to know the bottomless love of our Savior and to be filled with the fullness of God, to know that you are with us even when we are weak, uh, that your grace is sufficient for us even for these things. We long for the day when this wisdom gets worked out as far as the east is from the west, when the lions will lie down with the lamb, when the prince of peace will rule and reign. But until then, may we be his ambassadors who do so wisely, who do so attractively, who do so because we were loved even to death on a cross. In Jesus' name, amen.